Welcome to Book Tour. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Um, tonight, we will be, we actually will be reviewing uh, Demon Theory by Stephen Graham Jones. We've been promising it for, for a while now, and we had to kind of delay a little bit because, as it turns out, it's uh, a little bit of a complicated book to read, so we need a little extra time. Not like Haruki Murakami 1Q84 amount of time, but still extra, extra time. <laughs> Uh, what is of note is I want to welcome uh, Misty Bennett on. She is the one who chose this uh, through Patreon um, for us to review, and she's joining us to talk about the book. So, Misty, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. A <laughs> um, little bit of housekeeping before we get going, just in case. Because, you know, Rob, I imagine there are some people who only listen to a few minutes of this podcast and then turn it off. What? That can't be. It, it, I don't know if we can see a statistic on it. I'd rather not. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't look at that. <laughs> the fact that we're um, reviewing a Stephen Graham Jones book is probably uh, in line with this next comp. It's Craig Clevenger's birthday today. Uh, happy birthday, Craig Clevenger. Happy That's birthday. Great. Yeah, so the day we're recording this, not the day you hear it, because I imagine this is going to require clever editing. It'll take Rob a little bit to get it out to you. But, uh, you know, we'll continue our tradition of recording on holidays. I think Clevenger's birthday is a holiday. At least around these parts. Uh, definitely around these parts. <laughs> so, um, We're going to start off, I think, by having Misty tell us why she selected this particular book for us to read. That would probably be a good place for us to start. Absolutely. I, number one, know that you guys are huge fans of Stephen Graham Jones, as I am. He's one of those pivotal authors in my life that, after I got out of college and discovered how much was actually out there... He's one of the pillars uh, in my life as far as writers go. And anything that he puts out, I'm going to gravitate towards. But I knew you guys had not read all of the backlog, like some of his older work. And this is a pretty big book as far as like really showing the cleverness of Stephen. And so I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to... Uh, to take a bite into it. Did you take a bite out of it, Livius? Oh, no, you read it uh, electronically. Yes, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did, but I will tell you, the corner of my iPad is a little chewed up after after getting through this book, which I'm sure we'll talk about at length. Um, I don't know if anybody who listens to the show needs to hear a Stephen Graham Jones bio. Um, here it is. I, I could almost, I looked at it on the screen. I was like, I could probably do this one without um, without looking at it, but here it is. Born and raised in Texas, in Boulder, Colorado now, 45, black feet, into werewolves and slashers and zombies, would wear pirate shirts a lot if I could find them, and probably carry some kind of sword. He's probably not 45 anymore, I'm guessing. No, I don't think he is, yeah. So, before I dip into the synopsis, as Misty mentioned, uh, we are big fans of Stephen Graham Jones, so I'll, I'll just mention the stuff that we've reviewed on the podcast, uh, and this is not necessarily chronological order, but... Um, uh, zombie Bake Off, The Last Final Girl, Zombie Sharks with Metal Teeth, The Least of My Scars, Not for Nothing, The Elvis Room, Mongrels. And then we also talked about stories that he had in Warmed and Bound, obviously, and uh, that New Black anthology. And I'm sure we talked about, we had to talk about The Night Cyclist on the podcast. It had to have happened. I know I talked about because I really, quite honestly, it's my favorite work of his to date wow. that I've read. Yeah. That's big. So, little. That's a spoiler for what might come later on in the episode. 
Uh, here's the synopsis for Demon Theory. A psychological tale of cinematic horror. On Halloween night, following an unnerving phone call from his diabetic mother, Hale and six of his med school classmates return to the house where his sister disappeared years ago. While there is no sign of his mother, something is waiting for them there and has been waiting for a long time. Written as a literary film treatment littered with footnotes and obscure nuances, Demon Theory is even parts camp and terror, combining glib dialogue, fascinating pop culture references, and an intricate subtext as it pursues the events of a haunting movie trilogy too real to dismiss. There are books about movies and movies about books, and then there's Demon Theory, a refreshing and occasionally shocking addition to the increasingly popular intelligent horror genre. And I want to say intelligent horror is in quotes for some reason. <laughs> I've never heard that term before, though. Intelligent horror. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that is a weird. That was definitely the publisher put that in because, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Do you want any thoughts on the synopsis, Livius? Um, I think it's a start. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna agree with that. I, I don't. Yeah, I mean that is that is um, the the very literal tip of the iceberg um, as far as as this book goes. Um, one update: um, Stephen is 46, or, or no? Well, I guess I take that back. He could potentially be 46. He's born in 72, the same year I am. So the chances of him being 46 are uh, are growing by the um, by the day. <laughs> all right so that's a fresh that's a pretty fresh bio i thought yeah, yeah. Yep. all right that's good good to know so yeah this is um the literal as i said tip of the iceberg um this book is a, a it's written to be like a movie treatment um that is based on a book which is based on some case notes from a psychiatrist so there have been a lot of transitions in this story. So we have whatever happened initially, then we have whatever that got written into a into actual case notes, then transcribed into book form, and then made into a movie. So this may have lost, like a game of telephone, may have lost some of its um, authenticity along the way. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like Livia says, uh, it is written... <sighs> The, the the book is written uh, as if it's movie action, but it's not written like a script. Um, it is it's very much a narrative that uses movie terminology, um, but otherwise it's written just like a book. I guess if, is that fair to to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they yep. use movie terms like on screen, off screen, voiceover, things like that um, in the shorthand that you may use at least in reference to to like movie movies in general. Um, but it's very much, you know, a regular narrative with paragraphs and like, you know, people talking in quotes and stuff like that. Uh, so, um, but, but the other, the other interesting thing about this book is all the footnotes, which, uh, happen as well. It's, it's known for having a slew of footnotes, not necessarily like house of leaves deep, but, um, consistently throughout the book in a way that like we could talk about whether it enhances or the, the story or not, but, um, footnotes are a big part of this too. A big enough part that there are well over 500 of them in the course of a 440. You guys have the actual book, right? 440 yeah. pages. Is yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Accurate. So, um, more than one per page. Um, if you count sub footnotes, 
Um, the footnotes, though, do bring some clarity, as Rob kind of mentioned. Um, a few of them are very uh, functional in that, you know, if it says EXT, um, there's a footnote explaining that that's exterior shot, you know, that type of thing. So there is some actual movie jargon in there. And uh, the remainder of them really kind of point to where um, reference material, right? So where in a movie, most specifically, because um, I did notice and, you know, we talked about it a little bit. I guess we'll talk about spoiler talk in a little while and how we did this. But he always referenced the movie, even if he mentioned the book the movie was based on. So they are all movie related, I think. And I'm not going to you know, go back and thumb through 400 of them. But I do believe that all of them reference another movie and or, or movie jargon, not true life events or, you know, actual places. They're all movie related. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty I'm accurate a, with the exception. I'm going to agree. Yeah. There may be some, like, historical fact thrown in there somewhere or, like, a medical term or something. But for the most part, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Well, even so, just to get a little bit specific, there's a <laughs> reference to Michael Hutchins in one of them. I did like really enjoy that one. I love NXS and I love Michael Hutchins. Rest in peace. But um, they, it, the reference is actually not, even though The Devil Inside is a song that was originally coming up as part of the, the film and the music, he references Michael Hutchins being up for a part in an Oliver Stone film or something or playing or no, maybe it's Forrest film anyway. So yeah, even that, even though it came from a song, he, uh, he ties it back into film. Mm -hmm. Yep. So our story starts off as the synopsis mentioned, it's a Halloween night. Uh, Our, um, I guess our protagonist, at least for the first part of this Hale, Mm -hmm. receives a call from his mother, which prompts him and his fellow medical students to to go in uh, on a journey to the middle of nowhere. Um, location-wise, to essentially um, check on his mother. And they are very quickly trapped by an early Halloween winter storm um, where things kind of start to go awry for them. So here's where this is going to get interesting. We want to talk about the plot, not necessarily the structure of the novel. I think we can kind of dip back and forth. We might have to dip back and forth a little bit. So, yes, basically, like, these... um, Young adults end up at this house because their friend Hale is worried about his mom. But when they get there, it's very clear that there are some monsters around that may or may not be out to kill them. And it's kind of a matter of like trying to figure out what's happening in the house, where is the mom, and why is Hale in the house so haunted? Yeah, and... uh yeah, so <laughs> it doesn't take long once they get to the house for this to kick into full on like horror movie mode where um like the 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 storm like you said kind of is a is is a way of keep, keep keeping them there while things are going down and stuff. Um mm-hmm. It does all the fun stuff where, you know, you have a slutty girl there who's got like only a bra on and she's partnered up with a guy and there's some sexual tension there. And then you have the real like drama happening between Nona and Hale because like they're kind of quasi boyfriend and girlfriend and she's trying to figure out what's wrong with him. So that's where you get the real actual storyline happening. But all the cliche horror things are still going on where if somebody's naked, oh, they're going to die first or in the, the story tells you like it's 
falling into all of the classic horror themes and that's part of the fun like you're here to see and witness a slasher film even though there's technically a bigger story going on and it's going to to hook you so that you want to go to the sequel which you know is coming very quickly in the novel it's probably a good time to address um a couple of things so this came out post scream and acknowledges scream as an entity but this was maybe I don't know. Maybe it was the first book to do that, though, to kind of acknowledge its own, um, you know, I don't know, like its own horror style, like the like all the tropes of horror, like its own self-referencing book, so to speak. Yeah, I do think it's it's like the cabin in the woods before mm-hmm. there was a cabin sure. in the woods. Well, nowadays, and I think that's why it's important to mention it, because there are so many um, TV shows and movies that have done this at this point. I don't know how many books there are, but I have to imagine this was pretty early, at least for a book to do that. Absolutely. And this is where, like, if we're talking about the structure versus the plot. So I think to move forward with the plot. So you have like almost a classic, like first episode or first in a series, in a trilogy, the first movie happens and it's just confined to a house and you're getting to know like the Jason Voorhees story. Like there's some kind of a demonic presence and you don't know what it is. And then, you know, there's some kind of family dynamic and you don't know what it is, but you know who survived at the end. And then the sequel happens and it's like, you're seeing (laughs) echoes of these people Mm -hmm. But you're in a totally different setting. This, this may be where we different. might have to spoiler talk, cut you off. Um, oh. I don't know how much of that oh. we're going to do. No, no, it's I don't know. I have to rob. Is it too much? That to... is, yeah, being careful about. I won't say, well, we won't talk about who does or who doesn't. But the characters do bleed from one, um, like in the trilogy, from uh, from movie one to movie two, to movie three. You do have some characters that bleed from one to the next. Mm -hmm. But, and and over time, you're figuring out the original mythology of where this haunting is coming from. But Stephen puts it in different settings in each of the movies to try and add some flavor to it and keep the audience interested. And so it's, it's really doing a lot of things all at once. Yeah, I don't think anything yeah. was spoiled uh, by that. And, I mean, you have to talk about the fact that there's a second and a third part at some point, right? Sure. And I think that um, it's important to – how do I say this? They're they're very distinct stories. Not that they don't – that they're not dependent on one another, but it's not just a continuation of the same story. So, um, you know, I can go back to Halloween 1 and 2. Um, you know, just two picks <laughs> yeah. up the, 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 you know, moment one ends and then moves oddly enough to a hospital um, where the second story, you know, plays out. But they literally could have watched the two of them together in one sitting. They they could have just been one long movie. It wouldn't be weird. These are three very distinctly different mm-hmm. um, stories that all take place and all have, you know, the, the same the same basis um, then the same, you know, characters kind of shuffling my head around because I don't even know if that's the right word. But yeah, they are um, told very differently, I think. As, as Misty just texted to me, this is a very difficult book to talk about without spoiling things. Um, mm-hmm. What I would like to say is the the, the Hale character we mentioned earlier, uh, there, one thing that is important to the entire book in three parts is um, 
like a tragedy that happened in his past. And I don't think that we would be spoiling anything to talk about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, as a kid, when, when this hail kid was like 12, three, like, first of all, I, I can't, this is the first book probably ever where I've read about people riding on three wheelers. And it took me like, cause they don't exist. Like you can't find three wheelers anywhere. Yeah. But like, it took me back in time to like, like a childhood where three wheelers existed. And it's just like, I liked that so much anyway. So that's a little personal indulgence for me, but, uh, uh, <laughs> he's, he's got his little, his, his, uh, younger daughter, Jenny on the back of his, uh, sister. R- r- did I say daughter again? Man, I can't yeah. get over this. Anyway, he's got his younger sister, Jenny on the back or riding on his three wheeler with him. And then something goes wrong and she gets kind of like, like wrenched into the the works and like really messes up her legs and stuff like that. And um, that was like, because of that incident, like things in their family kind of set off on a really dark path. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so this comes out in the first part. Like uh, I don't think that the, the, the other people knew about that before they got to the house. Right. This is something that kind of like, no, comes to life when they're at the house. And so, as they're dealing with like what the hell is going on, they also have to face the fact of like, oh well, this guy may you know is obviously not telling us everything, and um, now his intentions are brought into question and stuff too. So uh, that, but that's a very fundamental part of the overall story is the fact that Jenny um, got crippled in a in a in a three wheeler accident, and I just love I love so much that it was a three wheeler. Yeah, Rob was just trying to figure out where the smart guy was. I thought we'll just add another wheel and make these a yeah. lot safer. Yeah. <laughs> like we're saving so much on that one wheel per vehicle thing. Oh, good lord! <laughs> there may be something, some other things we discuss from the story, but um, that's the basics, and you just have to let this one kind of unroll on its own. Um, now, in the event that you find our final review interesting enough that you want to read this, let me make a very strong suggestion to you. It will be very, very tempting. I did it from a time constraint because I was warned about the possibility that this might not work out well. But um, this book is not currently in print. So you can purchase a used copy and you can purchase a digital copy. I was really excited um, that I purchased a digital copy because that was the only way I'd have it in time. Um, but because of the footnotes, I was warned. But I was like, well, this isn't bad because every footnote has a hyperlink that then has it um, pop up on the screen. Um, so you can read the footnote and then you can just exit out and you can go back to reading, <clears throat> which wasn't ideal, but it worked. The problem is the same thing doesn't happen for the, is it sub footnotes? Is that the right term? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't happen for the sub footnotes. Which maybe, maybe by and large doesn't matter because I found the footnotes, although an interesting touch at times, very often didn't matter. And I, I kind of mentioned earlier, Steve and I are the same age. So a lot of the references he was making, um, even if, you know, let's say you're 15 or 20 and reading this book, you might not get. Like I got to the point where I could almost predict exactly what the footnote was going to say in a lot of cases. So. There is some information in the sub footnotes that will completely detract from your ability to understand the entirety of this story. So here's what I will say. First of all, I found out that Stephen gets no money from the digital sales of this book. So that's one good reason not to buy it. The other good reason is you will be left confused and have to have uh, friends who read the paper copy explain it to you for 20 minutes like I did much earlier <laughs> this evening. 
um, which is not an ideal way to read a book, especially if, you know, reading is uh, not for me and Rob. You know, it's not a solitary thing for us anymore because we get to talk about them. But um, the average person reads a book and doesn't have anyone to talk to about it. So don't buy the digital copy. Um, if you do decide you want to read this, you definitely, definitely want the paper version. And that's probably the second time I've said that in 423 episodes. So that's that's how strongly I feel about it. So uh, if anybody wants to just take a quick uh, jump over to, and this is in no way an advertisement, um, abooks, abebooks.com, uh, you can get copies of Demon Theory for as little as like f- under $4 if you're not looking for like a first edition or a signed copy or something like that. You can get like a legit um, paper copy of the book for, for not a lot of money. So um, even though this is an out of print, print out of print, print book, uh, it's definitely easy to come by and it's not going to like destroy your pocketbook. No. And actually I think this is a great opportunity just jumping off of exactly what Livia said. This is one of those books, which is very similar to a lot of the the postmodern like drive to encourage uh, the experimentation with the novel itself, like structuralization of novels and do they have to be read in a linear fashion or can you get creative with that? And so, of course, House of Leaves is the one we all know, but it's not the only one. And I feel like Stephen did this also to contribute to that conversation and to that experimentation for writers who are able to mess with the structure of a novel, that's what this is for. It's to play with that. And I don't think it's accessible in a digital form. You really need the written book. And I love him for that because I think we can all agree that, yeah, it's nice to carry it as many books as you want on your handheld device. That is a beautiful thing. I never want to lose that. I also love the smell and the feel of a of an actual book in my hands. And when people put out novels like this, it forces the physical book to stay alive. And I appreciate that. That's a good point. I rolled my eyes so hard at that feel and smell of a book thing <laughs> that I think I hurt myself. Uh, that actually, I'm going to take a little detour here, but that, rings to mind uh several years ago now that me and livius went to uh the release of uh daniel Luski's the familiar part one um mm-hmm. in chicago and he did some q a and stuff and uh the ebook version of the 50 year sword came up at one point and um it the co- the conversation basically was about how on the ipad it's phenomenal and on any other digital uh, device it's basically just a pdf and he was very apologetic about how like it didn't end up being the way he wanted it and in my mind i was like dude if he gets discouraged from like pushing the boundaries of what you can do with a book that's going to be very bad because like mm-hmm. he's so he he's so good at challenging what you know the typical layout and structure of a book is that um, if uh, I was like, I wanted to go up and hug him and be like, dude, no, please just keep yes. doing these things. Like we need to have these things because this is the only way that the, you know, the electronic version of a book is going to evolve. So at a moment yeah. of panic where I was like, please dude, keep doing it. Just <laughs> so yep. back to, back to talking about, uh, demon theory a little bit, something I want to acknowledge. We're at the point now where like, um, 
spoilers are a very real thing. Good. The good news is there's going to be a ton of spoiler talk about this. So like, if you want to dig deeper into like the story and what goes on, we did that conversation for you. Um, but I want to acknowledge the fact that this book is uh, in three separate distinct parts. There's Demon Theory 16, 17, and 18. It's three parts. It's supposed to be like a movie trilogy. And so um, the plot that we've given you is as much as we can about the first part. Um, but there is a, a second and a third part. And each of them there are their own like uh, you know self-contained story. Then they build together to be like an overall trilogy. So... For the sake of spoilers, like, you know, the things that happen in part two may really kind of reveal stuff that happened in part one. So we're not going to talk about it, but it is three distinct separate uh, stories in one book. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's tough to talk around these things. So <clears throat> just trust that Rob went out of his way to say that. And there are reasons for him saying it, I guess, is probably the best way that I can. You know what I mean? Like the best way i can explain that hey did you guys catch that he he name dropped all the beautiful sinners in this book okay i have that underlined i did <laughs> notice that and i also noticed that he did not footnote it and i was like he didn't even footnote himself yep which is probably yeah. good i mean it's a nice it, little touch it is. it is i had to google all the beautiful sinners to see if there is anywhere else that that um you know, that that exists. Oh, yeah, like in pop culture or something? Yeah, like like maybe that was originally, like the name of, you know, his book was taken from a poem by somebody or, or whatever, you know. And um, no, every Google result is for Stephen Graham Jones, nice. if you Google all the beautiful sinners. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've, we've, we've done good setup, but there's like so much like breath uh, and depth to the to the book that we uh, can't talk about because of spoilers. That like, there's got to be something more that we have to say about this, like the structure or something like that. There's got to be. Does anybody? Have, oh, a like, little bit, yeah. So I think what we're really missing talking about is just how much this is a hodgepodge and a playground for any fan of the horror genre or actually even film, because. What Stephen is doing is, like, as he is telling this story, what his footnotes do is give you a background of a reference he, is, that's being made in the film. So we all, we go to movies and we see things and they look familiar. And immediately we, if we notice that it is familiar, we, something clicks in the brain that says, oh, that's like Lethal Weapon or, oh, that's like Halloween. And this book does that for you. It plants you in there as an audience and does the brain function for you in the footnotes. But it even goes further and tells you all these things that you had no idea were references upon references upon references of when you see someone say, check you later in a in a, a, a gas station that you don't just think of dazed and confused that actually didn't come from dazed and confused that came from this 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 and this all these things that you never knew steven puts that on a page so you actually see the 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 depth of reference that can occur in film these days which i can only imagine if you're someone like jesse who has that in your catalog in your brain that you've seen all these films and you can see all of what led up to this new idea how rich 
it is for you as an audience member, he kind of gives you that. So you don't have to have all the references. He's going to tell you about them so that you can experience the same depth that everybody else with that background has. There's something special about it that is hard to explain, but this book gives it to you. If you've ever wanted to sit around and hear horror nerds or film nerds talk, just read this book. <laughs> I'd like to um, go a step farther in talking about um, the book as a whole and structure. So everything that Misty said is absolutely true. Um, but there's still a story here. And the story is super, super complex. So I've had conversations with Stephen Graham Jones, and, and I get the feeling this is probably easier for him to put together in his mind than it would be for the average person. <laughs> um, but it is a labyrinth of a story. I mean, it is a difficult and complicated story, too. So um, if that type of thing appeals to you, then absolutely um, you know, it's another good reason, um, to read this. So without, you know, giving too much away, there is a lot of things that you should be keeping track of. This is a little bit like not the story and anything, but a little bit like Sixth Sense, right? Like you watch Sixth Sense and you go, well, shit, I got to watch it all again now yeah. and see what kind of stuff I can catch. Um, I, I will probably not be reading it again, <laughs> but that being said, this book <laughs> would definitely benefit from a second reading and probably become, um, I don't want to say a less complicated story, but a little easier to follow once the whole story has been laid out. I actually was, before you referenced The Sixth Sense, when I heard where you were going, the first thing I thought of is that, oh my goodness, yes, this the story itself has several oh shit moments. Just like The Sixth Sense, where you're like, oh shit, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yep. And so I, am, I appreciate you for pointing that out. It's true. It's not just the structure that is so rich. The story itself has something as well. It really is dense, is probably the best way to describe it. It is, that's why I said, you, you know, you guys are taking a bite into this. It is a dense book. There is a lot happening. It is very rich and amazing. So I'm going to pose a question to the two of you, and and um, I'm going to try and be very careful about the way I ask this. Um, having read this book and then read his uh, mo more recent works, um, which I guess we could all probably agree that they're less complicated. Do you think that the fact that you know uh, his his more recent books are more accessible takes away anything, or uh, do you still see everything from Demon Theory in these in these newer books too? Livius. I, um, hmm. So, full disclosure, um, I tried reading All the Beautiful Sinners long before this podcast. Um, you know, around the times I stumbled onto the works of Craig Clevenger and Will Christopher Bayer. And I, I, you know, obviously I don't have a good memory of the 50 pages that I read 10 years ago or whatever it is. Um, but I felt this was um, similarly less accessible. Um, it, it, similarly to how I felt about all the beautiful sinners, um, his latter books, uh, more recent books, ones we reviewed on this podcast, the couple that I've read, not for this podcast, just on my own, um, have the exact same voice. Um, I feel like if you handed me a book without an author's name on the cover, I could tell you it's Stephen Graham Jones. If I was 50 pages in, I think that he has some, 
uh, style markers, quirks, whatever you want to call them, that I could identify as his work. Um, do I think it takes a little bit? Of, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, I'm going to spoil my own review for this. This is not my favorite Stephen Graham Jones book um, and not by a long shot. That being said, I appreciate the complexity of the overall story. Um, sometimes I just don't want to work that hard, I guess. So I will say no. It doesn't take anything away. But like I said, for the person who really wants to dig into something and really um, work their way through a book and not just read a book and enjoy, you know, beautiful language or great stories that are laid out, you know, I don't want to say simply, but simpler than this, um, you know, and maybe this maybe, you know, maybe that's the right way for you. Misty. So I may not add a lot to what Livius already said, because I agree with some of it, or probably a lot of it. My thing is, uh, I do agree that it is complex, and because of its complexity, can be less accessible to a typical reader. I would not, and well, I don't want to get into my review, just like Livia said about his, so let me not go too far, but it is dense, and it's more of a homework book. You have to be engaged and work with this novel. You cannot idly read it, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that is that shows you the level of expertise that a writer has, and I think at this point in his career, he was very much still not I don't think showing off is the right way to phrase it, but that's what I'm going to call it right now. <laughs> he shows off in this book. You see the level of, of wittiness and brilliance and just how much knowledge that this bastard has. I don't know how he has the time to accumulate all of this knowledge. It is impressive. If anything, this is impressive. But I also know that there's a lot of people who may not know about it that would eat this up. People like David James Keaton and Jesse, who this is like a sandbox to them. Like they would just go in and just get so fiendly happy about all of what it does. However, for a typical reader and for like, you know, when it comes to selling novels and wanting to make a life as an author... Um, no, this isn't the way <laughs> it's not, <laughs> unfortunately, and I hate that. It reminds me of Arrested Development. You know, all the good shows that are brilliant are not accessible to a wide range audience. And this is almost a novel example. Not, I mean, not of a Arrested Development. It's not a comedy, but still that same idea of it's so cerebral mm -hmm. that it gets lost on people. So you guys basically said exactly what I was hoping. Um, Livius's point that like this is absolutely Stephen's voice um, is a fucking incredible point. Like he has had such a strong definition of himself through like everything I've read, and it's unmistakable. And then like Misty's point about um, how he's like he's on full display in this one. That's kind of what I was thinking because like you'll hear the detractors saying like you know it's too. It's too complicated. It's too confusing. Blah blah blah. But like, it's really just like an amplified version of like other things that you would read. Like, it just tunes up. It just turns up some of the dials a little bit. So, um, it was it it was one of the intimidating reads from Stephen was this because of the complexity of it. But uh, I guess I fall more in the Jesse Lawrence, David James Keaton category where like this is just candy to me. 
like the more complicated like the the more it challenges me to like understand the more i'm like i can fucking do this and i like dive into it (laughs) so yeah yeah i feel what we're creating here though through this conversation for anybody who does want to read it though is the maybe the thing and i didn't have a dust jacket and quite honestly i didn't read i did read the synopsis but you know it's almost a primer for knowing that you're gonna have to pay a lot of attention Mm-hmm. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I read every book. I pay attention, right? But I don't start. We didn't talk about this. This came up a little bit in spoiler talk, which we recorded before the episode. So head over and listen to that after you're done listening to this. Um, there are a lot of characters and a lot of things happen to those characters. So being forearmed with the knowledge that you're going to have to maintain a mental database of exactly who these six, seven, eight to start characters are. And then really focus on who they are and pay attention to that when you move into part two. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the primer would have um, would have been helpful. I don't know how much of that is the responsibility of an author or a publisher to give you. Uh, probably zero. Um, that would have helped, I think, for me at least. And probably for – I read some of the – I read a lot of the, um, the reviews for the digital copy. And there are two types of people. Yeah. <laughs> so they're – I'm going to say there are the Robin Misties because I feel like you two are going in one direction and there are the me that suffered a little bit reading this book. Now, the digital version didn't help. So I will say that 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 actually hindered the experience. I'm going to try to take that into consideration a little bit um, in my wrap up. But at least I feel that if it's not the author's responsibility um, to to give you that primer, uh, I hope that we're able to do that for you here if you decide to read this book. Sounds like Mm -hmm. we're getting real close to wrap ups. It does sound that way. And I am going to, unless you guys have anything else to add, I would like to go first. Please. So I like a lot of Stephen Graham Jones stuff. Um, I mentioned the night cyclist is one of my favorite novellas, at least in the top three, probably novellas I've ever read. Um, the least of my scars, goddamn brilliant. Um, lots of good stuff there. Um, this one struggled with. So, I'm going to blame digital for a little bit of that. I literally had to have them explain the end of the book to me because there was a uh, formatting issue, we'll call it, that uh, did not allow the book to give that information to me because I thought I was done. I thought I read the entire book. It really, I didn't. Um, I liked the complexity of the story. And and after sitting down and talking to my fellow co-hosts, um, you know, I like the story a, a little more than I did when I was done reading it. Um, that being said, it was still super hard to follow for me um, throughout the course of the book. And I'm not going to elaborate as to why these are things you're going to have to discover on your own. But hopefully what I said earlier about paying a lot of attention and maybe taking notes while you're doing it is not the worst idea. Um, so it was kind of messy. Um, some of that I can blame on digital. Some of it I'm going to blame on on, on Stephen, um, quite honestly. Um, overall, I think that it was super ambitious, and the big picture stuff is really, really, really brilliant. Um, the way to get there was a little more convoluted um, than I like for my taste. Um, so I'm going to uh, end this review, mute myself for the next 10 minutes, and not barge in on anybody else's review, and I'm going to give this three stars. Ooh. All right, Misty. Are you ready yeah, or should I, I, you ready? No, I'm fine. Yeah. No, it. I actually do. I do want you to go last. I don't want to know what both of you say before I say. Um, <laughs> so leading up, especially if you listen to the spoiler talk, it is no secret that Stephen Graham Jones is in my heart. 
like as far as writers go and pivotal ones at that, he is in my all time top five, um, if not top three. He's just amazing as a as a human, and I do bring that with me every time I read one of his his books. And this was no stranger to that idea, even back in 2006. So I acknowledge that I am a bit biased. However, um, I love that Livius called this ambitious because that's exactly what this is. I um, acknowledge this as part of the postmodern conversation. And I have not been in school in college since 2004, so I don't want any lit, career, uh, lit crit or lit theory people coming at me for calling it postmodern when it's not really postmodern anymore. I don't know if it's post-post or there's a new word, but it's part of the conversation of the structure of the novel, and he did an amazing job with it, and he also had fun. If you know Stephen at all, he is obsessed with horror. That's one of his favorite things. He doesn't always write horror, but on a personal level, this is where he has fun. And that's exactly what he does in this book as he has fun. And he shows you just how brilliant and how dense his knowledge is and what he can do with it. The only thing this book lacks that I feel takes away from his talent is you won't see how much he can play with sentences and how beautiful his writing can be. That is the only thing missing from this. I There are sentences in some of his novels that, to me, can be put up on a chalkboard and just admired. And Demon Theory doesn't bring that part of him to me, but it doesn't make the, it lacking in and of itself, because horror does sometimes lack that. But um, it is... A playful sandbox of horror reference. It is an amazing story, thick with mythology, and it turns on itself, and it's very clever and tongue-in-cheek, and it's a great time. And uh, it's very nostalgic for me, being that it's 12 years since I read it the first time, and I am still going to give it five stars, even though it doesn't have beautiful sentences in it. Being what it is, this dense, difficult read, I love what it brings to the novel. I love what it brings to horror. I love how much it makes me work to get to the nut of the story. And so, five stars, all day. All day. I like that you said all day. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um... Yeah, I'm kind of a Stephen Graham Jones fanboy, just like Missy was talking about. Um, more new to the game, like uh, when we started the podcast in 2011, I had not read anything by Stephen Graham Jones, um, and it wasn't for another year or two till we started. So uh, I'm not the, you know, decades old reader of Stephen Graham Jones, um, but everything that we've read for the podcast I've absolutely been delighted by, and um, he's just a great person in general, and talking to him and understanding what he writes and why and like you know the passions that he has for the like the topics that he writes about and stuff really informs um it buys a lot of goodwill for me getting through what was supposed to be you know kind of a complex book and so i'm looking at it from a very kind of biased opinion like 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 missy had mentioned and so um 
all that said, the book is confusing uh, in a way that uh, I wasn't really prepared for. And what Livia said about, you know, how you could, if you're reading this for the first time, how you could um, help yourself track it better is, is, is that's where I was confused. But at the same time, um, I know it's not an, a lazy author writing lazily. I know it's an author who did something intentionally for the sake of the story. Or, at the very least, for a, a fun what-if, which is something that uh, I think is very characteristic of Stephen Graham Jones in, in a very positive way. Like, uh, you talk to him about something, and I, I've heard interviews, I've done interviews with him where something was, you know, it seemed like it was very, you know, intelligently done, and, and his answer would be so simple and just like, yeah, I just wondered what would happen, and, or, or whatever. And obviously that's not an exact example, but... That's what I like about Stephen. He writes so intelligently, and so, and he has such a good approach at the craft. But at the same time, like something could have just been an indulgence, and that is absolutely just as valid as uh, as if he, you know, really, really put a lot of work into it. Either way, his stories are always um, deep and and charming, and it's it's always obvious that what he writes is a love letter to whatever it is. And um, I feel like this, especially with the the footnotes, um, put that on full display. Like Stephen is obviously very passionate about horror and and all of the elements that he's you know um, been inspired by or curious about throughout the years are, are just packed into this 440 pages. So um, for me, I'm just charmed by the whole project and and uh, the fact that it was confusing and a little more difficult to get through didn't really hold me back from really enjoying the book um the stuff at the end was very very satisfying and i'm not going to say what it is but very satisfying for me um and overall just loved i freaking loved it i loved it and uh i'm gonna do a five stars as well yes <laughs> misty then- always thinks it's like a contest I you ever do. notice that Anybody matches her rating, she's very, very happy about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. She's a competitive person in general, so. I need, Livius, all this says about me is I need validation. That's really what it uh, is. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up, so let's talk about that for, for a minute. <laughs> um, Misty did, off the air, recommend to me not to try reading All the Beautiful Sinners again, um, based on our conversation about this book, which I appreciate. And it's been in the back of my mind that I should go back. Maybe I was in the wrong place. Maybe I was distracted. So I don't know. Maybe I'll put that on my things to do list for 2019 is to read all the beautiful sinners. Um, yeah. If you, uh, if you want something um, that's uh, that's going to twist your brain into mush and, or maybe just challenge you as a person, um, pick this up, but get a goddamn paper copy for fuck's sake. Really yeah. don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Don't do it. Well, that's, I mean, that's our general advice and is, is don't do what Livia's does. <laughs> I'm going to simplify this for the readers. I missed, <laughs> I missed the ending of slash the most critical part of the goddamn book. That's how bad the digital copy is. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag truth. <laughs> Can I, I'm going to break in with a key page update, Livius. Oh, well, this one should put us, where do we have 28,000 now? Wait. Uh, I think you're a little 12,000 pages. Okay. Uh, so the goal this year was to break 10,000 pages. And with this book, we are at 10,016 pages. Mm. So 
Mm-hmm. Let's push us 16 Ooh. pages over the goal for the year. And it is, what, the second week of December? So there's a little time left. We're going to get one more in this year. Yeah. So uh, very excited about that. This is our 32nd book that we've uh, read for the podcast, which is very exciting, in 2018. So we're going to dip it up to 33. 33? Yeah, for the year. Want to definitely thank Misty um, for being a very loyal and sweet um, patron on our Patreon account, patreon.com slash booked. Um, as part of the tier that she is in, um, she gets to pick one book a year. Although if Misty were to just drop a message saying she wanted to read another book, we'd probably do that anyway. But thank you, Misty, so much for uh, for all you've contributed to the podcast. And now, now as a permanent co-host, too, we get to put you to work like three or four extra times a year, too. I would be lying if I didn't tell you it was thrilling. I would thank you, but you're doing me a favor. So <laughs> I love you guys. That's right. Everyone remember, when you contribute to our Patreon, you're, we're doing you a favor, as <laughs> as a patron just told you. Yeah, it's so, Missy, Missy's word. That's what she said. Let us, let us do more for you by going to patreon.com slash booked and dropping at least a dollar a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about what's on the horizon, Livius? For sure. I'm going to talk about two weeks from now okay. first, because um, that's going to be the next and last book that we do for 2018. And that's going to be Adrenaline Junkie. Um, we talked about it here on the podcast. Les Edgerton, longtime friend of the podcast. Um, we should probably get in communication with him and see if he'd like to join us at some point. Maybe we'll have to do that in January, though. I don't know the time wise we can get that in. But I mentioned that because Misty gets back to back episodes as she will be on our holiday office party part two um in in just like a week it's going to be a week from tonight actually so uh, the 16th we'll be doing live uh, via facebook i believe because that worked out pretty well last time um keep an eye out on the booked podcast facebook page and the um the book podcast listening group for links to that uh that will be a video episode which you'll be able to hear here 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 you'll be able to hear wherever you're hearing this <laughs> but you won't do it with a picture so it would uh, behoove you to be around live on Sunday, the 16th at uh, 7-ish, 7, 7.30, whatever time we decide on for that. Um, so you can see it as it's happening, but it will live possibly forever um, on our Facebook page, <laughs> unlike that one episode that we had tragic mishap with that yeah. went away. So that one you only saw live. So there's always that Russian hackers. It was the Russian hackers. It was definitely Russian hackers. So I, wanna, I don't want to be the guy that corrects you, but I'm going to be the guy that corrects you um <gasps> i think this is our third holiday office party oh Pretty maybe sure i was so maybe i was so inebriated during the last one i don't remember it <laughs> yeah because there was definitely one one of them was so long that we had to break it up into two parts and I think oh, yeah. another one was just one episode so i'm pretty sure this is our third third year doing that there you go Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very I exciting. have a bottle of eggnog sitting <laughs> in the refrigerator. Not for next chocolate wine. Up. No, I could get chocolate wine. I could totally go get chocolate wine. But for <laughs> this one, I, eggnog. It's Christmas. Gonna, I figured out I would really do it up this time. You can put some liquor in there. Or is it already in there? It is. All, it is pre-liquored. Nice. So I don't remember the name of the company. I'm sure that the bottle will just sit on the desk next to me the whole time, and I'll drunkenly hold it up occasionally during next week's episode. I'm going to have to dig out. Um, remember I had that light that was, like, putting snowflakes up on the wall behind me? I'm going to have to find that. Uh, yeah, you and, should definitely uh, find that. I agree. Yeah. Gifts. I think the gift the gift exchange is, is going to happen. 
gifts mm-hmm. are gifts are flying all over the you know the universe right now. I'm just very excited. I'm very excited about the holiday office party. It's like the best time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes. I didn't want to yeah, like, loss, like a lawsuit or something against us. So, uh, yeah. So definitely come back next week, but not here. Come to our Facebook page uh, where we'll be having the office party part 2.53, whatever number it is. Um, and until then, um, on behalf of Misty Bennett, this is Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.